Well, let, let's pray one more time just before we open God's Word. Heavenly Father, we are just so amazed by your work in our lives, about the work of your Son, what he accomplished on the cross for us, giving us a new life, and giving us life in the church. And we pray that today we'd be edified by uh, the words that Paul charged with Tim, to Timothy as he was passing the baton of ministry to another generation before his martyrdom. And Lord, uh, uh, help us to keep in mind these essential components for leadership training, be it the leaders or be it men who aspire to serve you in leadership or even the church, the important aspects uh, that we see in this text in 2 Timothy 2. Too. Help me to just... Uh, uh, expose it, expound on it uh, clearly um, as I should. And I ask this in Christ's name, amen. Yeah. Well, John MacArthur had mentioned years ago that there's no more important task in the local church than the training of male leadership. And he said, if you don't have male leadership, you don't have a church. And we saw that when we were in Costa Rica uh, there seemed to be more of an emphasis with the ladies that were in the church, but there was just one pastor and there was no real good ability to uh, form leaders. And they were just, he continued on pressing forward in ministry. But today, unfortunately, in contemporary evangelicalism, many uh, religious leaders have deviated from Scripture and sought out practices of the world and sought secular practices where man's center, man is the center of the ministry of the church as opposed to having a God-centered focus. You don't know if you guys had heard this. Um, it happened about, uh, probably about back in 2006. The seeker-sensitive movement that was led by uh, Rick Warren and Bill Hybels, he, they had an epiphany. They realized that after 20 years of a superficial gospel and a superficial Bible teaching, that they realized that they, wouldn't, they weren't producing mature believers. And you'd say, as part of the evangelical church, that they would come to the realization, wow, praise the Lord, they're going to go back to the Word of God and find out what is, what is the truth and how we should follow it, having brought 20 years of waste, people following this sham for 20 years, embracing a, a superficial gospel and not growing in the faith. But instead, they contacted Brian McLaren of the Emerging Church Movement to help them with their problems. And so they've continued with the same, same errors. The result is tragic. It's spiritual mal uh, malnourishment, biblical illiteracy. There's a lack of doctrinal understanding and theological knowledge to underpin and strengthen their faith. Uh, they're inexperienced and they're unfaithful teachers with no ministry training. And most tragically, many people have said that they keep themselves under the guise of a superficial gospel, yet heading straight to hell. And people, I mean, you can waste 20 or 30 years in a church. Some of us may have experienced that. Uh, thank, thankfully, we're here in a sound doctrine church, but many have lost 20 or 30 years embracing error with, the ability, with, with no ability to discern the truth. So there's no greater responsibility or priority than the training of male leaders in the evangelical church. 
The church may have male leadership, but if it does not have trained leaders who are able to shepherd God's flock with sound doctrine, the body of Christ will falter and not mature in its faith. Believers will no better, be no better off than where they were before, immature, illiterate in the Bible and unable to live God-honoring lives. When real problems come, they will not know how to respond. So today we're going to be looking at four essential components of leadership training and our churches need men who are committed to the work and are committed to be adequately equipped to nourish the body of Christ. His church for the present and future generations here in, in uh, Acton and to also in Chile and Talagante and Concepcion, Valdivia, wherever we have men that are being trained, they all need to understand these essential components. Now, just as a little bit of background to this epistle in 2 Timothy, this is the last epistle written by Paul. Uh, by Paul. You might hear a Spanish word pop out of my mouth. <laughs> I almost said Pablo. And, and um, um, uh, it was written in, in 67 AD. This was his second imprisonment. This time he was in a cold, dark dungeon in a Roman prison, and he realized that he only had a short time to live. And this was Paul's last wishes, his last will and testament spiritually to his beloved son, Timothy, that he would continue faithful in the ministry. And it is the most tender and most touching of all his letters. In his first imprisonment, he had liberty for people to come and uh, meet with him. And he, in Acts 28, 31 and 30 and 31, it says he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ openly and without hindrance. And we know in, in Philippians 1, 24 through 26, that he was anticipating his freedom sometime in the near future. And when he wrote uh, Philippians in, during that time, along with three other epistles. But this time it was different. Um, if you want to jot down some notes, uh, they were, I'm not going to read them just due to time. But in, in 2 Timothy 1, 16 and 17, uh, 2 Timothy 2, 3. 2, 9, verse 9 through 13, 4, 6 through 8, and 6, verse 16. These are all evidences that things were more difficult for uh, Paul while he was in prison. Well, during, before the second imprisonment, he was um, uh, moving. Um, he traveled east, and he was captured. And uh, in 64, Nero burned Rome, and he blamed it on the Christians. And this time, he was in di difficult conditions. It was cold and dark and wet. He asked Timothy in chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Timothy, bring the cloak with me that I left in Troas while winter has come, uh, was to come soon. Now, these were typical conditions of a Roman prison, and he was practically alone, and his opportunities for witnesses were very restricted. And he anticipates his imminent execution. So Paul's purpose for writing this epistle was to inspire, instruct exhort, encourage, and challenge him to continue the faithful work of uh, evangelical, evangelical ministry. Now, Timothy was relatively young. He was fighting with various challenges, uh, being young in his ministry. He also, in 1 Timothy 6, he made reference to the challenges about his health. Uh, the church, it was amazing. I mean, Ephesians is, uh, Spurgeon described it as the queen of the New Testament. And only a couple years after that was written and sent to that region, uh, Paul's saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, 
uh, Timothy, I want you to stay in Ephesus because there are men that are teaching strange doctrine. So he's facing also the challenges of the Roman government. So his youth, his health, false teachers, and most likely the challenges of the government as well. So there's a tendency as sometimes when there's a lot of heat in ministry, there could be a tendency to retreat and fall back. But he's exhorting Timothy to continue faithful in the ministry. His beloved son. But we're going to see that Paul said your tool in ministry to be faithful is the word of God. He didn't want them to be a, he didn't want him to say you need to study their social difficulties and be a sociologist. He didn't say that you need to be a study man and figure out him as a, as an anthropologist looking at man's, um, man's, uh, how they are, how they are and um, how they should be ministered to. He didn't say that you need to be a psychologist to understand the mind and their needs and to raise their self-esteem. Um, today, you see a lot of emphasis in this idea of contextualization. We need to, um, some evangelical scholars have said, in addition to studying the text as part of our labor and study, we need to exegete the people. And what he was saying there is, oh, I need to be thinking about these people here, and I need to know how I'm going to reach them. Instead of using the word of God with the spirit of God to reach these people. Because it's a message that's transcendental. It's not humanistic. We're not using human methods to produce spiritual results, like he said in 1, Timothy, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So Timothy, he's exhorting Timothy, saying, Timothy, it's the word of God. It's the word of God. It's the word of God. Look in uh, uh, some verses here when we'll see the emphasis in chapter 2, verses 215. We're all familiar with this verse. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. In 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul recognized that the, that the scriptures are uh, sufficient in salvation. And he says in 3.15, and that from childhood, uh, you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads uh, to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. In chapter, um, in, in 3, 16 and 17, we have the sufficiency of scripture. It's a precious text here. Uh, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be fully equipped uh, adequate, equipped for every good work. And the implication of that, when a, a man of God or anybody in ministry fails to recognize that the word of God is authoritative and it's effectual in what it seeks to accomplish, then the man of God is not adequate in his own being. He's looking at other sources that are equal or above what God's word says, or he's looking at other forms of psychology to find out, to produce some other form that'll appease man. But all those things, those humanistic aspects will not be effectual in producing righteousness. Also in uh, first, uh, chapter, chapter 4, 1 through 6, he says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the, to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, 
Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? For a time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. So it's, it's the people that are mounting up these false teachers so they get their ears tickled. And they will turn away from, the, from their ears from the truth and they will uh, turn aside to myths. But you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and my time uh, and the time of uh, my departure has come. So Paul is exhorting, uh, challenging Timothy and instructing him to continue faithful in passing the baton of ministry to him. In, uh, in, in chapter 1, we see how he was emphasizing that he should use his gift. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline and verses 8 through 12 are precious where he's saying, um, where he's saying, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Those who have embraced the, the true gospel have embraced, uh, will, will be able to sustain the ministry because God will be sustaining them. So here we're going to see uh, four essential components of leadership training. Uh, look in, uh, actually, we're going to read uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. This is, uh, this is one sentence, but we're going to concentrate on the second part of the sentence in verse 2. Uh, Paul emphatically puts emphasis on Timothy here. Uh, it's a personal pronoun that's not necessary. So um, we talk, I talk, you talk. You need to put a pronoun in front of the verb in English, but in, in Spanish and in Greek, you know with the verb, that with the conjugation, whether it's a first person, second person, or third person. And if you add a, um, a personal pronoun in front of uh, a verb that you already know that it's a second, second person singular, it's po putting emphasis on the person. Then it's putting more emphasis on the person. For example... Um, uh, in, in chapter 28 and the Great, Great Commission. Um, and I am with you always till the end of the age, or until the consummation of time. And I am with you. It's ego e me. When, when those disciples, when they heard, they didn't really get it all. They didn't know exactly what was going on, what he would do with the church. But he says, ego e me. I am with you. And they knew when he, under, when he said that to them, they understood they didn't, they didn't get it, but they, that echo was with them later on when they would have to endure incredible things. And for us, His presence is uh, divine with us. It's daily and it's till the end. And He was putting emphasis in His presence with ego e me. And here He's putting emphasis to Timothy. Timothy, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then the second verb is located in uh, chapter, uh, verse 2-2 two, two, uh, that says, entrust these. So it's uh, be strong and entrust. And, uh, be strong is a, 
continuing action. It's his, it's it's um, it's um, uh, continuing ongoing action. It's durative. It's habitual. But the emphasis we're going to see is a little bit different when it comes to entrust these. So we're going to see in, in this text the four essential com- components of leadership training. And number one is your content. And the second one is uh, second point is your commitment. The third point is your custodians and your custom. So we're going to look at the first uh, clause here. And the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses is your content. What is the things? Well, the things are the apostolic teaching. The Lord said, I will build my church and uh, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not, hell will not overcome it. Uh, looking at Matthew 28, uh, verse 19 he said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, that so then those who received the word were baptized and that they were added about 3,000 souls. And they were focused and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. It was the apostles' teaching with Christ as the um, cornerstone. And we see that in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, where he's describing how we've been corporately included in salvation um, as Gentiles with the Jews. And he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and you are God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone, in him the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you, you also were being built together into the dwelling of God in the Spirit. And conti- so continuing on, we're building upon that of the words of Christ, the apostles and the prophets, and look at the importance in uh, 1 John, First uh, John chapter one. First John chapter one. He emphasizes in the opening verses about the humanity of Christ. If you don't have a right view on that, uh, Christ was God in the flesh. Um, you're not one of His. But he also makes another emphasis. In verse, uh, verse 3, saying, And what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And again, must, uh, farther along in this chapter, he makes further emphasis about the communion that we have in same doctrine. Okay, So, Paul's saying, uh, Timothy, you know, you were with me, I didn't teach this stuff to you in a back room. Many witnesses were with me. They were test, uh, they're, they're giving testimony. They know what the Word of God says, and you're going to give an account, and you need to stay faithful with the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So it's sound doctrine. Uh, there's a word uh, that's repeated a number of times in the pastoral epistles, uh, hugaino. It's a word that describes something that's healthy and good or sound. Uh, there's also a word kalos that means good, but the predominant word that's here in these pastoral epistles uh, is, um, um, is 
the, the emphasis in being good or sound. In 2 Timothy 1.13, he says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. In 1 Timothy 4.6, uh, he emphasizes, In pointing out these things to the, bre- to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and sound doctrine which you have been following. In Titus uh, 1.9, Titus wrote, Holding fast to the faithful word which is in accordance with, with, uh, te- with the teaching so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and f- refute those who contradict. For Titus 1.13, This testimony is true. For this reason, reprove them severely so that they may be sound in the faith. And two, uh, Titus 2.8, Set, be sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So, sound words with sound teaching and sound doctrine produce a sound faith. And just as Paul was saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, he says, Timothy, I want you to stay there in Ephesus because there's, a, there's men who are teaching strange, jo- strange doctrine. And if you've come out of those, those circles, you know they've got strange words, they've got strange teachings, they've got strange doctrine, all sorts of goofy stuff, and it produces a strange faith. So he's exhorting Timothy, Timothy, you're giving testimony to all, all the other churches that you need to be faithful in the apostles' teaching. The second uh, point is your commitment. And we're going to look at this word, uh, and trust these. So it's the apostles' teaching. And the word entrust here is from the word paratithemi, which uh, was a word that was used uh, in various times to uh, give a sense of serving food at tables. But the, the word also conveys something that is associated with great value. Um, the, the apostles in, in Acts, um, uh, in in Acts 17, 13, uh, they gave evidence that Christ had to suffer and place from uh, uh, suffer uh, from uh, the, the dead and um, that he is the Christ. Uh, in the proclamation of the gospel, also in the proclamation or propagation of ap- apostolic ministry, um, th- this word was used in order to propagate these teachings. And also of great value, uh, we have at, uh, the, the last words that Christ used on the cross when he said, unto you I commit my spirit. So you can see there's nothing more precious than the soul of uh, the Lord uh, to the Father. You can see the importance of uh, these words with the apostolic teaching, the propagation of the gospel. And look at 1 Timothy 6.20. 1 Timothy 6.20 he says, O Timothy, keep what you have been entrusted, avoiding profane talk about vain things and arguments of, uh, of falsely called science. In 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, Therefore, I also have suffered this, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am sure that it is able to keep my deposit for that day. So we've been entrusted 
with a treasure to be faithful in what has been given to us. 2 Timothy 1.14 Keep the good deposit by, indwelling, by the indwelling Holy Spirit. So we've got the content, the commitment. The third point is your custodians to faithful men. We've got the word describing these men. It's, uh, well, men is, is uh, masculine. So we see through the history of Scripture that men were leaders through time and also in the church. And they are described as being faithful and trustworthy. It's a word that we get for belief. In 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul emphasizes to him, he says, pay, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these, these things. So for, for as you do, this will also this will ensure salvation both for yourselves and for those who hear you. So the men need to be faithful and trustworthy with sound doctrine. And again, you can see the history that male leadership, Moses, the prophets, the apostles, and other biblical authors in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy 4.7, he says, I have fought the good faith, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith, and when the Lord returns, he's recognized as being faithful and true. Amen? So he's saying to Timothy, the other essential component is apostolic teaching. It's entrust. And the, and the word entrust, I forgot, I failed to mention this, but in, the, in a command here, he is saying, not in a present form of practice, but he's saying with, with an aorist imperative here, in the totality of this ministry, it's an urgent summary action saying, do it now. This is your ministry. Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And then lastly, we've got who will be able to teach others also. It's a habitual practice as a matter of course uh, if we were to define the word custom. So we've got your, your content, your commitment, your custodians, and the custom. It's a habitual practice as a matter of course in our mode or form of action. That's the way we should be. We should have a system or model for developing leaders and the reduplication of leaders in the church for this generation, for the next generation. Um, some time ago um, in ministry with some difficulties that we, we experienced, um, um, you know, we feel like in Masters we've been entrusted with something of great value. Um, in, in, in some years ago, um, with difficulties on the field, uh, one pastor told me, he said, Steve, you know, your exegetical training is going to get you in trouble somewhere down the road. And I said, I have nothing else to offer. This is the only thing it's been entrusted to me. I know that this is truth, and we need to go forward with that. So in looking at this, text, I've kind of flown through this because usually the, t the, sermon, the sermon lasts about 50 minutes or so and I was trying to be sensitive to the time. 
but we've flown through this this morning. Um, so the four essential components, if any of these are missing, the train will derail. If you don't have sound doctrine, if you don't have sound teaching, the train is going to, you're going to have problems in your church. If you don't have the commitment of these men to be entrusted with this, with something of great value, and they decide to use something else that they think is more effectual, the train's going to derail. If you have men that are in ministry that haven't given attention to their life and their doctrine, you're going to have problems in the church. And finally, if you don't have a system where you can be duplicating men to be leaders in the future, you're going to have these difficulties. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this message that Pablo gave to Timothy. That he was not to retract and fall back in the midst of trials of ministry, but that he was to continue faithful to be strong in the Lord in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And also to continue with the teachings as he had walked and traveled with Paul all over the Mediterranean, hearing the apostles' teachings and needing to be faithful and committed to that ministry. And also in the exhortation that in passing this on to the third generation, the faithful men, that he must look to give attention to himself and his sound doctrine and also to his life, but also to all those who hear him. Today, there are many men that aren't giving attention to sound doctrine. They're not giving attention to their lives. And in the wake of their lives, and we've seen people fail in ministry, it affects the church. It affects those who follow him. It affects those who hear him. And Lord, uh, we also pray for wisdom and how to have systems that are duplicating and reproducible so that we can train the next generation. And we pray for Acton Faith Bible Church and we pray for um, our seminary and our church as we look to raise up men uh, in their capacities to shepherd the flock of God, that they would be fully equipped with the ability to recognize God's authority and its effectuality and work, and that they would understand these and apply these in their doctrine and in their lives, that we might have others who get the privilege to shepherd other, other flocks of yours. Uh, we see the multiplication, and we are thankful for your fruit, and we just pray that we would be faithful as we go forward. We just thank you in Christ's name. Amen.